Programming Notes episodes, the general concept is that you can get an extended summary of episodes if you decide that you'd rather have that than listen to the episodes themselves, as well as some notes about what's going on in the community or how you can be helpful and useful in the community. Programming notes for the week of March 19th, 2023. As some of you know, I'm starting a consulting practice here in the summer, focusing mostly on kind of introducing each people to each other that are doing data mesh and a lot of roundtables and kind of information flow. So as a test of how uh, <laughs> how well people are responding and reacting, uh, the first 10 people who reach out to me and give me the, the code word, which is Sinasapple which is orange in Dutch, uh, the the fruit of orange, uh, you'll get the first month free. So what's on tap for this week? We have episode 206 on Monday, which is learnings from delivering and then measuring the value of data mesh work, which is an interview with uh, Rada Rishani at Bank of America. So Rada takes us through how you collaborate well with the business around data mesh. How do you prove out value and keep people happy as prioritizations are changing? How do you get budget for the tasks at hand and not, you know, trying to get budget for everything, but, you know, keep momentum at the same time and, you know, proving out value, proving that you're actually executing on things and and kind of getting that mesh value to be kind of front and center. I think it's a must listen for anyone leading a data mesh implementation because there's just a lot of kind of uh, battle scars and and stories and things within there that I think are really helpful. And then on Friday, we have episode 207, which is Max Corner number 20, crossing the data value chasm. So here were kind of my five key takeaways. People are seeing early value from data mesh, but we can see where it could be a much greater amount of value, but we are still held back by the organizational challenges and even more so held back by the tooling. In many cases, the tooling isn't good enough yet to change developer behavior so that they would want to lean in more on data mesh, right? If we give them to a place where they, uh, where it's, it's really low friction, developers will lean in, but developers you know, are famously lazy and if you have high friction tooling, they're not going to want to deal with what, whatever you're, you're focusing on. We have to find a catalyst at kind of these micro levels in data mesh to make massive shift at the macro level possible. We haven't found these yet, right? When you think about the word catalyst, what does it actually mean? Look at it into the chemistry sense. We need to find these so that we're not putting in so much effort into our transformations. It's easy to get lost in the vastness of change in a data transformation around data mesh. Try again to focus more at that macro or that micro level with a goal of creating the cascading reactions to drive more of that that macro. Don't get lost in trying to do everything all at once and trying to put so much effort behind it and st- you know that work smarter, not harder kind of thing. We have to exchange information about how to do that, but look for those, those kind of easy hacks. 
Finally, we need to make the data product the first class primitive of information sharing. Make these the data products the basic building block of how we create our internal data and AI ecosystem. Right? How, how do we actually make that the crucial part of how we're doing data? Now on to the bluffs for the episodes for this week. Extended summary for episode 208, learnings from delivering and then measuring value of data mesh work, an interview with Radha Rishani. So in this episode, I interviewed Radha, who is a managing director of data analytics and technology innovation at Bank of America. To be clear, Radha was only representing her own views on this episode, not that of the company. So Radha started discussing balancing speed, structure, and control in your data mesh implementation. There are those that want to build everything up front and boil the ocean, but there are those that want to get to value as soon as possible without taking the product mindset to heart. Work with both sets of people to keep them deeply informed and show them why a balanced approach works better. If stakeholders are very close to the journey, they won't be pushing back on timelines. They can see where prioritizations are changing and the learning is happening as data products or other aspects of your data mesh are being built. In fact, let them control prioritization where it makes sense so they are the ones causing timelines to move and stretch, and they made the trade-off decisions themselves. Keeping stakeholders closely informed also has benefits around control in Rada's experience. They can understand the trade-offs relative to governance challenges like regulatory compliance, Exposing the actual evolution of the data product itself to stakeholders helps stakeholders feel comfortable with the process and that compliance and regulatory concerns are addressed. For Rada, uh, starting from requirements for a use case doesn't work well. People aren't sure and they get stuck in the details instead of the big picture. Instead, work with them to focus on what they are trying to achieve what their deliverables are, are, and then work backwards to figure out what they need to meet their own deliverables. And those deliverables better be tied to value somehow, right? While driving buy-in for from data producers, Rada recommends making a them a clear stakeholder in the process. She f- found that really deeply informing them of how their data will be used and the value it will drive often gets them excited to participate. Of course, you need to work with them to prioritize the work, but showing them the value or the potential value of a great use case often helps them set that prioritization. You also want to make sure to highlight their work, either for them or preferably making you know, a stage for them to present the value delivered from their data, giving them credit and visibility internally. When you do those things and give people true ownership, not just requirements, many data producers are far more willing to get involved. In general, when trying to get to approval for data work, while Rada recognizes it can be hard, she has a few good approaches. One is to look at different aspects of 
what are you trying to achieve? Say a process or product line drives significant value for the company. What could you do to tangibly improve the value it delivers? Not as one giant project, break it down into more tangible improvements and seek a budget to tackle one or a few so you can prove out the value. Getting a budget for additional improvements after you've proved out the value. Another is to know your audience. This might seem simple, but really, you have to learn what drives your counterparts on the individual level and find a way to communicate the benefits in that person's own language and address something that matters to them. Make it digestible and hard to resist wanting to tackle the challenge. It's definitely more art than science. I know everybody kind of wants to focus on the ones and zeros, but this is one of those where you really got to focus on the people. One way Rada has found to drive buy-in from reluctant data producers is to assign the cost of not doing something to them. Essentially, there is a benefit, a value to doing the proposed work, whether that is increased revenue, decreased cost, decreased risk, increased speed, etc. Right? There is a benefit of doing this use case. So there is kind of a negative of not doing the work. The propo- you know that proposed work, and you ask the reluctant data producer to officially own the cost of not doing that. You know, you own the opportunity cost of not having tackled this this challenge, and they own that business risk. Many have become far less reluctant to participate in in Rada's uh, experience. So, for Rada, there are two ways in general to measure the value of data work: economic value and impact value. Economic value is slightly easier to conceive, if not that easy to measure. If you make improvements to a process or, say, create a new product line, you measure the incremental revenue, the changes drove, or the amount of cost savings, right? But it gets pretty squishy when you're moving up and down so many different things, but you can kind of get a general sense and you can start to, to think about what actually drove those changes. Impact value, the the team or the teams impacted by the change have to give that value measurement. What is the value of speeding up a process, improving the data quality, lowering the associated risk, right? Neither are exact measurements, so it's crucial for stakeholders to understand that it's about triangulating and assessing value, not an exact amount of return. And the stakeholders, again, have to be the ones that assess value. Only they can say what an impact would mean for them. The data team doesn't have the context to do that. And you need an organizational environment where the forecasts are seen as forecasts, not commits. It's okay to have failures in data work, according to Rada. And me, you know, (laughs) anybody who's uh, kind of reasonable, I think, uh, understands that. But... uh, As many past guests have also noted, experimentation is about trying, learning, and iterating. Sometimes the learning is that this won't work or it isn't worth the effort, right? Getting to that learning quickly and iterating to value or stopping work when that's the right call is crucial to driving better returns and significant value overall from your data work. Your culture must allow for failure or you just won't take on initiatives that are higher risk, but with the higher reward and where that reward justifies the risk. If, you know, risk taking itself is punished rather than reasonable, you know, unreasonable risk taking is punished. That's a really bad sign that, 
you need to get you need to see getting to value and getting something directionally right as a win so you can iterate towards more value. You need that at the cultural level. You know, hopefully people listening to this kind of believe that as well, but you need to kind of solidify that in your culture. In Rada's experience for high profile, high visibility, high intensity projects or data product builds or whatever, it's not unusual to check in two to three times every week with all the stakeholders. While it may feel like overkill, you can find miscommunications or frictions early, and even more importantly, you can identify and uh, work to address challenges and risks as they emerge, such as if someone is disengaging. You know, they're not you don't find that at the end. You find that when it starts to happen. Instead of the data team going off and doing a bunch of work to deliver at the end of you know a month-long project, we need to really, really, really focus on these tight feedback loops and iteration and changing priorities through close collaboration and have a high visibility accountability model, right? If someone isn't delivering, that should escalate to the executive sponsor and they can figure out prioritization and an appropriate response. But that needs to be seen. It's not like, hey, we need to all really, really protect each other from from seeing this. We need to be accountable. We need to be accountable to each other to actually drive towards good results. On the platform side of things, Rada is very happy, very, very happy with their use of data virtualization for their, you know, kind of query layer. As their teams have learned how to build and mature their data products, data virtualization has meant they can expose what a mature data product actually looks like, even when the underlying data product is not yet mature. She even mentioned like some of the stuff being like Excel and stuff like that. It's not really productized, but the end customers get a product as they're working to really say, okay, we're we're putting this into a, a product um, format itself, right? We're actually making this into something that's really that reliable and scalable. The underlying data curation and curation uh, creation and curation process is not fully productized, like I said, or, or robust in many instances, but consumers don't have to care or maybe don't even know that. The views presented to users are controlled by subject matter experts and serve as a you know, almost a, a type of interface or an output port of a sense. More on, on data virtualization. One, sometimes that virtualization layer can lead to query performance challenges, but usually that's been tied to someone trying to do you know, too large of a query all at once instead of breaking it down appropriately. Okay, every time you pull this, do you really need to pull every 20 years? Or, hey, let's look at pulling the incremental and then you, uh, you know, maybe you just store what is historically because that's not changing, right? This thing from 15 years back ain't changing, right? Number two, data virtualization has made exposing connections between data products much easier. It's just creating another virtualized view. Connections need to be discovered and surfaced manually by people, but beyond that, it's quite easy to do the interoperability if the data fits well together. Discovering and mapping domain boundaries is really crucial in data mesh, according to Rada, right? And it will get easier as you go along. This is something a lot of people are really concerned about with DDD for data, is that 
do I have to get it perfect up front? You'll learn how to do this better. You really want to consider what you are trying to accomplish with the data product and not have many things loaded into one data product or it will become that you know overloaded and be hard to evolve and improve well. Data owned by a team that are not the subject matter experts is, is a likely occurrence, but you should look to rectify it quickly. Hey, this data needs to be owned. You're the closest logical owner or you're a, a, a potential logical owner. I'm sorry, you got to take it for now. And then we're going to find the, the team that should be actually owning it. Teams building data products that consume information from upstream data products should also not take unnecessary dependencies. This comes up so often and it's so important. At B of A, they created that virtual view that combines the upstream data from the source data product with the the data product that has the incremental uh, data that you're combining with rather than that downstream data product taking a dependency. They also have many domains that are represented by one data product, but have a lot of other domains that have more than one data product. The boundaries and the governance are far more important to get right than trying to match a certain number of data products to any one domain or say, this is our rule around domains that you must have three or you can't have more than four or whatever, right? It's not important to do that. Every data product should have a defined purpose in Rada's view. That's how you find your data product boundaries. What is my purpose? What am I trying to do? But a data product should also not take on a bunch of additional purposes. That's scope creep. That doesn't mean it can only serve a single use case. Reusability is crucial, but when someone tries to find the the right source for accomplishing a goal with data, it's best if they have to consider fewer options but still get all the data they want or need in one place. Yes, Far easier said than done, but it's a goal to think about and it's how you start to, you can start to talk to people about finding the boundaries of a data product. Max Corner 20, Crossing the Data Value Chasm. So this is the first part of a conversation I had with Schmack in March of 2023 that lasted over an hour. So we covered a whole heck of a lot of things, and I'm excited for you to hear about those over the, the coming months. So what we talked about was Data Mesh has moved on from curiosity into kind of that trial phase right over the last year. People are implementing and they're seeing some value and many are very excited and hopeful about how valuable and scalable data mesh could be. But at the same point, people are getting really disillusioned with kind of these quick fix approaches, especially from a lot of the vendors. You know, they just prove to be band-aids and the band-aids aren't kind of scalable. I don't know that that analogy really (laughs) works, but they're band-aid solutions and they fall off, right? And on the organizational side, people are still struggling, especially with incentivizing and enabling you know, data ownership of the domains. Overall, we are still implementing at kind of that small scale and disjointed phase. For example, you know, implementing a data catalog instead of overall enabling data discovery as part of the mesh experience plane. People are looking to really embrace the full potential of data mesh, but the technology isn't where it needs to be to make this easy yet. 
So data mesh is far harder than it should be. We haven't changed developer behavior around data to focus on data products because there's still too much friction. You know, developers are, are kind of famously lazy in their way in that if there's a bunch of friction, they're going to go focus on something else. So we have to look at re reducing that friction in many different ways. So how do we cross that data value chasm from where we are? You know, we see this kind of one plus one plus one plus one, you know, that's four ones. And right now it adds up to five, five and a half. How can it add up to 10? How can we get to this massive amount of value? As a community, we need to be on the hunt for catalysts at kind of the micro level that lead to a much larger scale chemical reaction of value, right? If you actually look at what a catalyst is in the chemistry terms, there are so many things in organizations that eventually need to change to do data mesh well, but a lot of data mesh leaders are getting lost trying to drive all of these things that must change as if we need to start changing them immediately and that all of them, we have to put, you know, force behind all of them. Instead, we have to break it down more and find these smaller changes that have a lot of leverage. So we make a small change and it has a much bigger reaction. To do that, though, we really need to enable data products to be, you know, what Jamak refers to as first class primitives. Right? They need to be what our entire information sharing ecosystem is built upon, Right, how all of our work around data is around that data product. Right, It's consuming from but producing to, and right now that's just not happening. And to make that possible, we need easier ways to create data products, hence you know, a need for better tooling and, and processes. That's kind of why Jamak is focusing on a lot of that stuff at Next Data specifically. Thank you.